Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Subscription is still a very hot topic, and many CPAs are looking at subscription, wondering how to get there and if it can even work for them. But there's no nautical chart yet for how to get there. It's still being mapped. Here today to talk with me about the subscription business model is my guest, Ron Baker. Ron has authored seven best-selling books, including The Firm of the Future, Pricing on Purpose, Measuring What Matters to Customers, and Implementing Value Pricing. His latest book, co-authored with Paul Dunn, Time's Up, The Subscription Business Model for Professional Firms, was published in November 2022. Ron, welcome back to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Geraldine. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. And for listeners who want a little bit more of conversations with Ron, you can also go back and check out episodes 147 and 81. It's hard to believe that it's been almost two years since the last time we talked. Wow. So let's dig into subscription and your book. Just to set the stage here, what made you want to write Time's Up? The gap between why we entered this profession to begin with and what's going on in the real world. Ask any professional in any profession why they became a doctor, a lawyer, a CPA, whatever it is, and they'll say over two-thirds of the time, in my experience worldwide, to help people. How can you help people if you have 2,000 customers? Mm -hmm. You're kidding yourself. Yeah, You're not making a deep impact. You're not doing the optimal, what you could be doing to help that customer. It's kind of like surgeon piercing an ear. We're, we're running it much under our capacity to really transform our customers' lives. And I wanted to close that gap. And Geraldine, I really believe the only way to close that gap is to align our business model with our rhetoric. We say we want to be our customer's trusted advisor. We say we want to make a deep and lasting impact. And then when you look at what we monetize with our business model, it's all about the services. And there's an enormous gap there that I think is you know, chasing talent out of the profession. And so I just wanted to align why we got into this profession in the first place. Let's get back to our roots. So right in there, out of the gates, there are three things that we could tug on. You say it's like a surgeon piercing ears. I would argue that it's worse than that. 
that when a CPA is beyond capacity, that they're actually doing a disservice to their client by not getting back to them in time, by not being a deep expert in the way that they could be if they move from generalism to niche, that I can even speak to this from my own experience, that I have to chase my CPA for answers, which wastes my time and causes me distraction and frustration. I mean, it's my thoughts that cause those things. But anyways, you know, a surgeon piercing ears is under ta- like underutilizing their talent, but I think clients are actually getting a disservice and they're not getting the deep expertise. I think the advisor thing is bunk, frankly. If you're a generalist, how can you possibly be providing solid and deep expertise and you're not providing a deep impact? So which one of those things do you want to tug on? I can go anywhere with that because I agree with all of them. You're right. Uh, we have too many customers. They're, they are being serviced poorly. We do waste our customers' time. We send them 200-page tax organizers, which is customer abuse. Um, we should know everything about our customers. We shouldn't have to have them tell us they got married, they bought a home, they sold a home, they sold a business, whatever. We should already know that about them. And you can't do that if you have 2,000 customers. Uh, we just need to up our game. And I'm watching all these firms, no matter what the shiny thing of the moment is, and currently it's CAS, you know, client accounting services and advisory, like you say. Mm-hmm. This is nothing new. We've been trying to push the profession into advisory since 1980. This goes back to the AICPA vision project of the 1990s, late 80s. There's, there's nothing new here. And the problem is we're all going to the market with a common offering. Well, I'm here to tell you as a pricer that if you go to the market with a common offering, you're going to command a common price. And so when everybody's zigging, I want to zag. I want to go to the market with an uncommon offering and get an uncommon price. And the only way to do that is to change your business model and your strategy. I would argue that it's not just the uncommon, like Mike McAllis talks about getting different. And I would add, in addition to being uncommon or different, how about just being better? Because there's so much, if we're going to go on a tear here, there's so much opportunity that's being missed by accountants, which is fine. Like coming from the business owner standpoint, we come from our skill set and we build based on our skill set and we go up from there. And I think what's missing is the point of view of coming at this from the top down, which is what is the problem that we're trying to solve? And I think that's what the profession is missing is many accountants would benefit from is changing the approach which is instead of coming at my clients with my skill set, coming to my clients and asking them what problems they have, and then asking myself, how can I use my skill set to solve their problem? And then using that to develop what you, what you call an uncommon offering. So go ahead and take that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, although I, I would just add, see, I, I don't think solving problems is the right framework. I, we're great problem solvers. We need to do it. We will continue to do it because we are fantastic. But I think our true value, Geraldine, lies in transformations, guiding transformations. If all we're doing for our customers is solving their problems, we're just reverting them back to the status quo. We're not advancing them. And we have the ability, and I would say the duty, <laughs> to advance our customers. And you can't do that if all you're doing is solving problems. 
Oh, interesting. Tell me why you say that. Why can't you do that if all you're doing is solving problems? Because I'm not talking about small problems, like small accounting problems. I'm talking about a business owner who wants to increase their revenue by 40% or 400 or like some, whatever their goal is. That's not a challenge. Uh, that's not a, that's not a problem though. That's an opportunity. Why is that not a problem for them? I don't want to get, maybe it's semantics. Yeah, it, go ahead. it could be semantics, but I, you know, yeah. we're about possibilities. Nate, Paul Dunn's got a great quote in his side of the book that talks about nature doesn't look for problems. It looks for potential, potential opportunities, not solutions. Solutions is solving problems. Yeah, we can get people out of IRS hassles and we can, we can, but that just reverts them to the status quo, right? I, I go to the dentist, I have a toothache. He, he, the, now it doesn't ache anymore. Great. He's reverted me back to the status quo. Has he advanced me? No. We have the power to advance our customers. Yeah, I, that I absolutely agree with. And maybe we are caught in the semantics. So let's talk about opportunities. Because I do think for some accountants, this is challenging. And I, I think part of the problem is that the mindset of being a business owner is almost, in some cases, directly at odds with the mindset of doing the work of accounting. And the work of accounting is requires precision and exactness, and there's one answer and one answer only. Whereas being a business owner, there are countless answers. There are many paths that will work, and it requires lots of experimentation and screwing up and failing in order to find the path that works. So I think to some degree for the accountant business owner, it asks of them, it's a challenging spot to be that I think perhaps gets undue recognition that the mindset of the accountant when they're being the accountant is one thing, but when they need to transition into being the business owner of their accounting practice, that it asks them to think a different way. So in talking about opportunities, I think that for them can feel way too uncertain. So let's unpack this opportunities piece, because I think for accountants, it seems too nebulous. So can we make it more specific for them? Sure. First thing I would say, this is one of the issues of the the struggles that accountants have trying to make the transition from compliance to reliance services, advisory, whatever, consulting, whatever you want to call it. It's because as a CPA, we're the expert. We get paid for the answer. We get paid for the answer. Somebody asks us a tax question, we spin it off the top of our head or we look it up really quick and get back to the customer, whatever. We're paid for the answer. Consultants are not paid for answers because like you said, there's many different ways to do it. Consultants, the good ones, are paid for a more beautiful question. Half the value or more lies in the question, not the answer. The customer has the answer. We just have to have better questions. And we're not comfortable with that because we're the expert because we feel it makes us look stupid when we sound like Lieutenant Columbo, you know, help me understand this, you know, and ask a kind of simple question, but sometimes that's what it takes to go to a new place. I mean, an answer has nowhere to go without a great question. Okay. So you think that a part of this, a big part of making this transition into subscription requires the accountant to get more comfortable by simply asking questions and not having the answer, which for them is like, well, who am I if I don't have all the answers? Would that be an adequate summation or? Yeah. When they're, when they're guiding transformations, it's gotta be about the question when they're doing the accounting and the tax, they still need that expertise but they just need to realize that that's not what the customer values from them. 
I go to any account and I expect my tax return to be done correctly. I expect them to be able to stay on top of things, deal with the IRS, blah, blah, all, all that's a table stake, but that doesn't differentiate us to differentiate. You've got to be able to guide the customer to a desired future state. And that's why I think the focus on transformations is so powerful because first off that completely differentiates you from the marketplace. And if you use that language in terms of your marketing and your branding and your promise and all of that, it also commands higher pricing power, but it also makes a bigger impact on the customer's life. So it doesn't, and it doesn't have to be grandiose. When I talk about transformations, people think, Oh geez, that's like getting married or joining the military or fighting a war and getting a ribbon or something. No, it, it can be things like helping them get their kid in college helping them uh, grow their business so they can retire sooner and sell it at a higher value, build a dream vacation home. Whatever. All of those things are, are transformations. You're taking them from where they are to some desired future state. And that's incredibly powerful. That's where the value is. The services that we provide and the scope of work and all the stuff that we get caught up on are just a means to an end. We need to stop charging for the means and pricing the end. So let me give you a great definition of a business model. It's, it's, it's more of a question, um, but here's a here in essence, a business model explains where revenue will be earned when services are provided free of charge. Yeah, that's an, yeah, go ahead. Now, Geraldine, if a CPA couldn't charge for services, if they couldn't charge for the tax return, for the bookkeeping, for the payroll service, for the, right. what would they have to price? So, okay, so what would they have to price? That's a great question. I want to come back to it. Just want to jump on the transformations piece because I think it can be even more prosaic that I would begin with clients understanding their money because CPAs will go on LinkedIn and tax Twitter and they will bitch about my clients don't understand their money. They won't say they won't use those words, but like my clients have no clue about their money. And I'm like, well, why aren't you showing them? Right, right. (laughs) I can get a little bit um, wound up about this, Mm. but at a fundamental level, if your clients don't even understand their money, how are you ever going to help them get the vacation home? How are you ever going to get them to save enough for college? Let's just start with clients understanding their money and just the basics. And then let's get to three to six months of savings in the bank account so that they're not face planning in the bottom of their bank account because they are just doing bank balance accounting. In terms of transformations for the listener, I think it can be, you know, we can get to the dream house, but let's start with helping your clients understand their money because accounting is the, look, I'm a smart person, I can handle the math and the equations, but accounting is bizarre for a regular person and it makes very little sense for the lay business owner. It does not easily relate to the lay business owner's day-to-day business life. So rant over. Totally agree. I mean, I think when you look at what we go to a professional for, one of three things all human beings we want to be healthier wealthier and wiser and yeah it's a big part of our roles to educate our customers on what their finances mean and their cash flow and their accounting statements and all of that and you're right accounting is bizarre because it's a representation of the business the numbers are not the business businesses are human organizations that have all sorts of dynamics the numbers are just a representative of what's happening in those human relationships and we need to be able to separate them out and that's part of educating our customer and you know we can't we can't just jump into the dream house we have to educate them first uh, but you can't do that if you have a thousand customers how are you going to do that 
Yeah, no, there's no way. And that's the part that it does a disservice to your clients because if you have a thousand customers and you can't devote your time and attention to your best ones who need it, they'll never get the education. And I'm on board that your clients need to understand the basics of accounting so that you can speak the same language. But like you say, it's not possible with a thousand clients. So let's go over to the what would you price if you weren't pricing services, tax returns, month end close, payroll, and so on. Why don't you open up this conversation and maybe give it a little bit of context because it seems like it's a question that can make a person crazy. <laughs> yeah, like shut down and check out. You know, the nature of the question is a little bit provocative. Oh, it's, it's brutal. <laughs> That's why I like it. Sometimes it's fun to think about things that are impossible. Um, and having to think about what you would charge for if it wasn't services is, is that type of situation. But it, I mean, if you think about it, we used to charge for hours. So we trade dollars for hours and we all know what a treadmill that is and that you, you just, there's no leverage in it and all of that. But when we moved from that to fixed pricing or even value pricing to some extent, we started trading scope of work services for dollars. So we're in the same mindset as doctors today, most doctors, it's fee for service. They're only paid when they do something to you. <laughs> Order a test, a procedure, come back in the office for a checkup, whatever. They're not paid for consulting with you, emailing or telemedicine. They don't get paid for that. Well, nor are they paid for their outcomes, but keep going. Like, let's restore your health. That's right. They're not paid to keep you healthy. They're there to solve your presenting problem and revert you back to the status quo, but not keeping you healthy. And that's why doctors today have a panel of patients at 2,400 patients, which is why we get to spend five minutes with our GP, right? And half that time, they're sitting there in front of their computer typing into your electronic health record. So when you look at direct primary care doctors, they only have 600 patients you subscribe to them. They don't take insurance, so they don't have any of the backroom bureaucracy that doesn't add any value to the patient, the medical billers and all of that, you know, usually six, six of those for every doctor. They don't have any of that, which means they establish a one-to-one -one relationship. Their average office visit is one to two hours. They'll come to your home. They'll come to your office. You can go to them. There's no waiting usually because, again, they have less patients, and they get to spend more time with you, and they get to keep you healthy. So sure, they're there to solve your problems when, you, when you're sick, but they're also there to keep you healthy and help you do other things, weight, exercise, get rid of comorbidities to the extent possible, all of those things. And this is revolutionizing healthcare. I don't know if you know, but Amazon just bought one medical, the largest DPC practice in the country, direct primary care practice in the country for $3.4 billion. Geraldine, you can subscribe if you're a Prime member to a DPC doctor from One Medical for $144 for a year. Tell me what that is going to do to healthcare. Well, if there's an industry that needs disrupting. So let's bring this over to accountants. And I just want to insert here for um, folks who are interested. I had Dr. Lewis Weiner on the podcast to talk about shifting away from the mainstream uh, medicine model. It's episode 206. If you want to check that out, it's a popular one. To think about physicians pricing for maintaining health, which I go to my physician, you know, same deal as you described, 20 minutes, get in, get out. And I could imagine a physician asking themselves, well, how do I price health? How do I price health maintenance? What is that even? So you could imagine an accountant asking themselves the same question if they're 
wanting to price the outcome, it's first finding the outcome and then asking themselves how to price it. So where is your head in terms of what you think ought to be priced? Well, I think pricing stra- all pricing strategy, and there's only three of them, but pricing strategy is driven by purpose, your overall strategy, and your positioning. Those are the senior partner. That forces you to think about, do we want to be Morton's? Do we want to be McDonald's? Or do we want to be a vegan? Hold on, Morton's. Because you can't be all three. <laughs> What's a Morton's? I live in a 3,000 person town, I know. Okay, Morton's is a high-end steakhouse, like a Ruth's Chris. Okay, so high-end steakhouse versus McDonald's, like where, or a brewery in the middle, where do you want to get your burger? Right, you, you got to pick one, right? A brand can stand for one thing. We can't sell Rolls Royces and Chevys out of the same dealership. That would confuse the market, confuse the customer, would confuse people you hire too. Am I a Lexus salesman or am I a Rolls Royce salesman? And it's the strategy that guides the pricing. The, the United Airlines has a different pricing strategy than Southwest because they have different strategies and different positionings. Southwest is, does not compete with United. They, com- they think they compete with you driving yourself or taking the Greyhound. That's why they call them Greyhounds of the Sky. That's what they're pricing against, right? And that's driven by their strategy. So the first thing to do is not to jump to the pricing. The first thing to do is jump to the strategy. Yeah. And the posi- do you put strategy as separate than positioning or do you put positioning underneath strategy? I put, I put positioning underneath strategy. I, I still think strategy is critical because strategy is not a plan. It's not, some, it's not something that you pick from a set of alternatives because after all, where do the alternatives come from? Strategy is designed. And that's why I think the DPC doctors are such a North Star here when people say, well, nobody's done this in our profession, which isn't true, by the way. There are some that are out there doing it, but you're right, largely, it's, it hasn't been done. But DPC docs have been around since 1996. Yeah, so let's do strategy as designed because I think this might throw people. So what do you mean by that? Well, strategy is, I think, my favorite definition of strategy, and there's tons of different definitions, right? It's about what you don't do. It's about the customers you don't have, the services you don't provide. Like a DPC doc is not going to do hip replacement surgery. They're not going to do cardiac surgery. They're not going to act like an oncologist, right? They're, they have a very defined scope of work of what they can do as a GP versus the specialist that we seek. And, and, and I, do, I, I do think that's true. I, I do think CPA firms are defined by the customers they don't have and the services they don't provide. This goes back to the Morton's and the McDonald's or the vegan restaurant. They're trying to be all three, Geraldine. It reminds me of you know, the, the, the veterinarian who says, well, I'm a veterinarian, but I'm also a taxidermist. So either way, you get your cat back. <laughs> Strategy is all about, it's all about trade-offs. It, it, you can't, you simply can't be all things to all people. But my favorite definition of a strategy is, comes from Jules Goddard. And we've had Jules on the show a few times. He wrote a book called Uncommon Sense, Common Nonsense. And he said, strategy is the rare and precious skill of staying one step ahead of the need to be efficient. Now, what's he mean by that? He, look at Google. Google's very innovative. They give 20% time to their people to work on really cool projects, even though most of them fail. Um, some of them hit big, but they don't, they're not constantly churning. They're not, they're, they're not on a hamster wheel. They have time to sit around and think and talk and innovate and dream and create 
We don't have that as accountants because one, we have too many customers, but two, even if we didn't, we would be out chasing new ones. We, we don't seem to give our, our, our people time to breathe, which is why I think we have a talent crisis in the profession. Yes, well, the talent crisis, the great CPA diaspora we can get to. Um, but I want to stay on this strategy piece because it's so fundamental and it's not being well used. And I think the reason, I think a reason perhaps that it's not being well used or people don't have strategies is because it sounds so nebulous and highfalutin, like the one step ahead of the need, of the need to be efficient. Well, okay, now what do I do? So for listeners who are looking for, you know, they're just looking for the next thing to do and to have it be made simple for them instead of highfalutin and academic sounding, what definition of strategy can we give them so that they're like, okay, now I can imagine having a strategy. I'll say that I mean, strategy is, is tough. I, yeah, it's a tough topic because it's dynamic. It's not a one and done thing. It's constantly fluid. The market changes. You have to change your strategy. But here's what I would say. Don't study your competition to get your strategy <laughs> because then you're just copying. And that's all we well, see. You can study them, but that doesn't necessarily mean you'd copy them. Right. But we end up doing that through benchmarking and, and other things. You know, the other thing to understand is a strategy is not a financial plan. It's not, I'm going to grow my revenue by 10%, my bottom line by X percent, you know, whatever. It, that, that's financial planning. That has nothing to do with strategy. Strategy is when you go and look outside of your industry, like Steve Jobs did when he created the Apple store and everybody told him they would fail. Don't do it. You're going to regret it, blah, blah, blah. And he didn't go and benchmark other retail stores. He went and benchmarked to Four Seasons. And he looked at their concierge and he said, genius bar. We need a genius bar. He was inspired by a completely different industry. And that's how I feel when I look at the direct primary care doctors and the concierge doctors. Now, both of those are viable models. The concierge doctors go for the top 5%, 10% of, of wealth earners or income earners in the country. DPC docs come in at a lower price point, like Amazon is doing, but you, you can have a DPC doc anywhere from 100 to 300 bucks a month. So again, that's dick, that price point, whether you're 24 grand a year, like concierge doctors or 300 bucks a month, like a DPC doc, that price point is determined by your strategy and your positioning. Are you a Morton's, a McDonald's, a vegan, blah, blah, blah. And both are viable. It depends on what you, what you're trying to build. But they, they, they drive different pricing strategies, completely different driving uh, pricing strategies. When I say strategy, I, that's what I mean. I mean, that is a unique strategy that the concierge doctor came up with in 1996. Nobody was doing that. He came into the market with an uncommon offering, and I would say a remarkable offering, because everybody was talking about it. It was remarkable. That's exactly what that term means. And... What we're doing is is a sea of sameness. We are just we are in karaoke country. You know, we're all singing off the same lousy songs, and no matter how good we are, we don't sound like Frank Sinatra. You know, you you, you got to mark your territory and make it different. And I just see us benchmarking too much and looking. At, and uh, well, let's let's watch what another firm does and let's kind of follow their plan or emulate. No, don't do that. Go outside of your industry to look for your strategy. So my karaoke of preference is ABBA, and it's really terrible when I do it. I drive people out of the chairs. <laughs> <laughs> so, But strategy for my people is typically for my clients, and I do this for listeners who are like, uh, can you guys land this plane already? 
is a high level or or what it commonly is. It doesn't have this doesn't have to be the strategy that you adopt, but very often it's a higher level or if you like a remarkable service currently unavailable in the marketplace for a certain industry with this revenue range so that you can get very specific about who you serve and when you do it becomes very clear the snow globe the snow in the globe starts to settle out it becomes very clear how to make a remarkable service because you suddenly see oh i'm targeting this person i'm designing a service for this kind of client and here are all the things that they need if i was this kind of client here's what i would want my accountant to give me and they just write it out and they develop a mark a remarkable service and then when it's remarkable it becomes very easy to price high for it because it's remarkable and the market is thirsty for it so let's put a pin in the strategy piece that's good i like that because <laughs> because that picking the right client and figure that's the positioning part of it which should be aligned with the strategy as well so let's go over then or come back to what would you price because you said you needed the strategy first. How do they think about what to price? This is the revenue model question. Mm-hmm. Now that's different from the pricing question. The pricing question is how much do we want them to pay? The revenue model question says, what do we want our customers to pay for? Do I want them to pay for a tax return? No, I do not. Do I want them to pay for me closing their books every month? No, I do not. Just like the DPC docs, We're going to cover anything that you need when you need it on demand. So what I'm paying for is access, peace of mind, convenience, frictionless relationship, all those things, not wasting my time so I can get to my doctor when I need them. That's the revenue model question. And I think if we confronted going back to why we entered the profession, what we would charge for would be transformations. So I like it. I don't disagree on a theoretical level. How do you think about how to price for a transformation? You, you, I would say you double, triple, quadruple your current pricing, and you just offer serial transformations. You do one after the other because we're capable of doing it. Now, those can be personal. Those can also affect, there can be business transformations. You can help their business grow and become more profitable and all those things that we can do. You, you have fewer customers, so you only have 25% of your current customers but you quadruple the price, you make you have a bigger impact. I mean, that that's that's a simplified answer, but that's essentially what I'm talking about. A higher price with fewer customers and more impact and on a recurring basis, on a subscription model, which by itself is a different profit formula. We're no longer looking at the math of the moment. We're no longer worried about profit per job, per customer, per hour. Um, what we're doing in a subscription business, which is completely different than what we're doing in a fee-for-service business, where we're constantly trading fees for services and we start on the zero-yard line every day, is in subscription, we're building lifetime annuities that are worth more than it costs us to acquire them. And if we can keep a customer for one year subscribing to us, then we have a 90% chance of keeping them for life. And that's going to make your firm more valuable when you go to sell it. So when you exit, you're not going to get a one-time revenue multiple. You're probably going to get something like a five to 10-time revenue multiple. Okay. I want to go over to selling in multiples, but just quick for listeners who might be thinking, oh, this transformations thing is way too in the clouds and the four times the price or double or triple your price. This is what we're seeing across or what I'm seeing across my clients is double the price for sure is a no, like, 
is not a problem. You will have clients leave off the bottom, which is fine because we're going down to way fewer clients, like you say, 25% of clients, which is not uncommon and that happens in phases. It doesn't happen all at once. <laughs> we don't slice off your entire arm, um, but we do get down in, progress- in progressive stages. If I had to ballpark it off the cuff, I haven't measured this, but 40% of clients is not uncommon. That, that And that's, yeah, from hourly billing to value pricing, that was my experience as well. You had somewhere between 40 or, you know, 20% of the clients you used to have because you niched or you, you, you know, you just made that choice of what to cut off, who we can no longer service. And the higher the price, the uh, the lower the client count drops. So it just depends. Like, do you want to go, go? I mean, depend. you can do what you want. You could go all the way to CFO if you like, and then you have way fewer clients or you can kind of stop at mid-level advisory. I don't like that term at all, but um, okay. So, and for listeners who want to hear more on niching and four times the price, go back and listen to the episode I did with Josh Lance, who's niched into breweries. And the title of the episode is Hold My Beer and Watch Me Niche. You're welcome for that title. Um, And he talks about his pricing and um, he's pretty explicit about his prices and his margins and uh, the numbers are good. So have a listen to that one. It's back in the, oh goodness, it's back in October of 2022, I believe. We are going to pause this conversation here and pick it up right where we left off next week. So stay tuned and I'll see you next time. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.